Good morning, Riverbend. I feel like it's been more than a couple hot minutes since I had a chance to see my family. It's been a, a busy fall. Has it been a busy fall for everybody else? Yes, no, somewhere in between? Uh, for those of you who I haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name's Michael. I'm part of our teaching team here. I host a small group on Wednesday nights via Zoom. And every once in a while, you might see me with a guitar in hand, singing some songs, hanging out, and uh, spending time with you folks. So, Joe, thanks for sharing us with that word this morning. I really, really appreciate it. I'm here to bring you the next part of our journey in Walk This Way. We've been traveling through the book of John, uh, one of the four Gospels, one of the four books in the Bible that chronicle the life, teaching, and wisdom of Jesus. And so, uh, as we already went through, we're going to go through and read a little bit more because I don't think you can ever hear the Word of God enough. Um, but last week, our, our, our stopping point, and Dan, you did a great job of sharing this and challenged me all week long. Where is your Samaria? And who is your Samaritan? So the backstory on some of that is that Samaria was kind of the part of Jerusalem that Jews didn't like to go to because they weren't highly favored. They weren't considered part of the family. And so you kind of had to go out of your way to go around Samaria because the straight line was actually to go through. And so who are the people that you're avoiding? And who is the person that you're avoiding? And so I hope this last week you've had a chance to think about that. And you've had a chance to really maybe kind of seek that person out. Um, so thanks for that good word as we wrapped up last week. Today, I want to ask you a very simple, straightforward question. Do you want to be well? No strings attached. <laughs> this, this isn't a three-card Monty. It's just a really simple, straightforward question. Do you want to be well? I would think that all of us want to be well. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, we want to be well. But wellness is differently defined for each of us, and it feels different for each of us. And we're at different spots in our stories where we are seeking different types of wellness. Certainly the last year, my wellness journey has been a little bit different than some others. Yet, here I am, and I'm well, and I'm thankful. So like a good Baptist-trained preacher, I have three key points for you this evening, or this morning. They'll be up on the screen. If you want to write these down, you can. If you want to take a quick screenshot with your cool phone, you can do that too. We will come back to these. But I'm front-loading you right now. This is what we're going to talk about today. Number one, if you want to be well, you need to pursue intimacy and relationship with Jesus. Number two, if you want to be well, you need to embrace God's healing. And number three, don't go back to Egypt. There's nothing good for you there. I promise. I will explain all of these as we go through our time this morning. So, if you still have your Bible or your Bible app, open it back up to John chapter 5, verse number 1. That's where we're going to start today. Very beginning of our passage this morning, it says, quote, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Quick history lesson for those of us that are not Bible scholars or ever aspiring to be Bible scholars, which is okay. Just saying. There were three festivals that Jewish men were expected to return back to Jerusalem for. Passover, Tabernacle, and fat Passover, Booths, and Feasts, if I remember the three correctly. Please don't quote me on that, even though I went to Bible college. Shh, Elmer Towns is rolling over in his grave right now. Um, Jesus, being a Jewish man, had to go back up to Jerusalem. Why did he have to go up to Jerusalem? Because it was elevated. It was not in the valley. It was up on the mountaintop, right? So Jesus goes back for one of the Jewish festivals, but Why? Well, I think this is the beginning of Jesus' teaching. Specifically, the festival that I believe that he was going up to Jerusalem for was the Passover feast. So, in the Old Testament, how many of us saw that really amazing movie by, I think it was DreamWorks, called Prince of Egypt? Throw it in the garbage, it's not real. <laughs> they totally get it wrong, 
<laughs> Go back and actually read Exodus. It's a way better story. That said, in the story of Exodus, when the nation of Israel is in Egypt, there's this great plague that's foreseen, and you know, God speaks to Moses and says, hey, make sure that the blood of the lamb is on the doorposts of your homes. And this is going to protect, the angel of de- protect you from the angel of death from swooping down and stealing the life of your firstborn. This was one of the very first stories about God delivering the people of Israel. It's a very, very important story in Jewish history. And so they celebrate that every year. They go back up to Jerusalem, and they remember the Passover feast. It was when the angel of death passed over the house. Right? So Jesus is going up there, right? There's the blood of the lamb on the door frames. They're delivered from the angel of death. Egypt would eventually send the Israelites away, quickly leading it to be known as the... uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Any bakers in the house? What's the one thing we like to use in bread to make it rise? Yeast. But if you've got to make haste and you've got to bounce on the quick, you don't have time for your yeast to rise, do you? You've got to go, right? So if you've ever had a, a flatbread, maybe a naan, maybe others, like they're, they're flatbread. They don't have time to rise, right? And so when... They were fleeing in haste. They didn't have time for their bread to rise. And so they were fleeing in haste because they didn't want to get caught up in sin. So this is where don't come back to Egypt comes in. We'll come back to this in a few minutes. But there was no time to rise. So make haste and flee is what the nation of Israel had to do. And so here's Jesus going to go back up to Jerusalem. He's going to talk about his, 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 who he is, why, God, why, why he is God, why he was sent, why he was there. But it all begins with this third miracle in the story of John. This is the third miracle in the story of John that Jesus performs. Picking up our story in verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lay, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Kind of looks like church, right? Are we not the blind? Are we not the lame? Are we not the paralyzed? Have we not found ourselves caught up in sin or stuck in a season of our life where we are just gripped by fear or gripped by worry or gripped by sin itself? It doesn't have to be this huge, dastardly, taboo topic. It can be something as simple as just being really judgmental, really, really opinionated, or not giving grace and forgiving another person. Here's this pool, five covered colonnades, and, and there's all these people, and they're hurting, and they're, they're weak, and they can't see, and they're in need of help, right? Um, I might be going out on a limb here, but I think the reason that there were five colonnades is because there was five books in the original Jewish Bible. Anybody remember these? Genesis beginning, Exodus flight, Leviticus about being the priesthood, Numbers, the promise, the sin, the punishment, and the preparation for the promised land. And then Deuteronomy, the reminder to never go back to Egypt because there's nothing good for you there. So here is this man who has been on his mat for 38 years. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years when Jesus saw him laying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, Jesus asked him, the question I started with you today, do you want to get Sir, the invalid replies, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. Sounds like he's on 22 trying to get on the MacArthur off-ramp. Humor aside, here's Jesus 
who sees us in our condition. And so we sang a song this morning about Jesus, I come in all of my weaknesses. Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. And I will rise and I will stand redeemed and heaven's mercy will flow over me. Right? Here is this man who has just been stuck for 38 years. Now, in the time that this was written, human longevity was not super good. You're looking 45, 50 years. You made it to, to, to Pastor Joe's age. You were really old and wise. No, I'm just kidding, Joe. I love you. Where are you? Taking care of the heat, I'm sure. But have you found yourself stuck? And it doesn't have to be the same thing. You know, I, I have seasons where I, I, I deal with addiction. I have seasons where I deal with judgment. I have seasons where I deal with uh, honesty. I have seasons where I deal with being fully present and not being fully present. And it seems like the seasons change just like the moon and the stars as they rotate around, or as we rotate around the galaxy and see them. And yet the one constant is that God is there. And he's meeting us at the pool saying, do you want to get well? Now here's the challenge, though, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. If you want to get well, you've got to make it a daily habit. We'll get into that as we wrap this thing up. But the man, the invalid, he says, you know, I, nobody's here to help me. I'm alone. I'm stuck. When the water stirs up, when the angel of the Lord shows up, somebody always beats me to the punch. How many of us felt that way? Like you just, you're, you're a dog, you've been kicked when you're down, and they just keep kicking you. I've had seasons, my wife and I can tell you stories where it's just like one thing after another. You finally pay off that bill and suddenly another debt shows up. Or you finally get the house fixed and the next thing breaks. You finally get all the cars up and running and then something else breaks. Or you lose your job. Or There's always something. There's always something, right? And so he doesn't sit there and complain about it as much as I think he's just saying like, Lord, I want to get well, but it just never seems to work out. So here's my reminder. Jesus meets us where we are, in our weakness, when we're broken, when we're trapped. Not in spite of, not because of. Okay, don't, don't misconfuse this. Wherever you're at, that's where Jesus will meet you. You just have to be willing to open up your eyes and say, I want to get well. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's like, whoo, hey, Lord, I want to get well. Boom, cancer's gone. I feel great again. It doesn't work that way. But here's the other part of that. If you want to get well, are you willing to accept the healing that the Lord is offering you? Because I promise you, the healing that the Lord offers is sometimes not consistent with the healing that you are looking for. Yes, I want to be made well. Well, that means you're going to have to give up this and this. Hey, I, I, I want to be well. Well, that means you have to pursue relationship with me. Hey, I want to be well. Well, that means you need to make amends with that relationship that you fractured. Yes, I want to get well. Okay, well, that means you need to accept responsibility for your actions. Or you need to ex exercise forgiveness for someone else. And no longer hold them captive to your hurt. Are you willing to accept the healing that the Lord is offering, even if it doesn't look like the healing you're looking for? But here's my other question to this. Christian, I'm speaking specifically to you in this room. 
Who are you helping get in the water? Dan asked you who your Samaritan was and where your Samaria is. I'm going to take that a step further. Who are you helping to get in the water? If you've been walking with Jesus, and you know, and you've accepted, and you're believing, and you're embracing, Christian, who are you mentoring and discipling? Because if you're not, faith without works is dead. Don't show me your works without your faith. Don't show me your faith without you exercising that faith in action. Christian, who are you mentoring and discipling? Are you helping somebody get into that water? Or are you just sitting there comfortable in one of those colonnades saying, yep, I got it made. Get that jail-free card. I'm good. So what does Jesus do? Jesus says, then I say to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat, he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. Law forbids you to carry your mat. But the invalid, the now walking invalid, the now healed invalid, the now restored invalid, physically, replies, the man who made me well said to me, pick up my mat and walk. So they asked him, well, who, who's this guy? Who's the guy? Everybody knows the guy, right? Who's the guy? Who, who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was because Jesus does what Jesus does. He does his best Homer Simpson and hides into the bushes and just kind of watches. Jesus will show up in your life. He will walk with you. He never leaves you, but sometimes you can't see him because you're so focused on what you're doing. Maybe you need to take a moment to pause. Take a look around you. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. When you encounter Jesus, you need to expect your life to be changed. You need to expect it to be changed. And you need to not miss the miracles that are happening right in front of you. The Jewish leaders were kind of torqued because the law was being broken. Their, their, their religious system was being challenged. And while they're being frustrated about that, they're missing the fact that this dude had been sitting in the colonnades for 38 years. And instead, the dude's up walking around. Like, like if, if, I, if I lay in bed for like a week, my muscles start to atrophy. I don't, how, did, how did this dude for been laying there for 38 years? And he's up and about and he's walking with no drama? Holy goodness, that's a miracle. And these people miss the miracle. So I, I want to ask you to not miss the miracle that's right in front of you as you gather around your table for Thanksgiving this weekend, if you're gathering around a table. Maybe it's a friend's house. Maybe you're having a Friendsgiving. What's the miracle that's sitting there in front of you? For me, I woke up this morning. Miracle number one. <laughs> miracle number two, my bed's comfortable. Miracle number three, I got a pretty cool wife. Kind of that, That's a miracle that she's still there and wake up next to each other like that. I kind of like that. It's kind of cool. There's all sorts of miracles. Your salvation, your faith in Christ is a miracle. Your redemption is a miracle. Your sanctification, your ongoing process of being redeemed in front of the Lord is a miracle. Indoor plumbing, especially from where my wife's from, is a miracle. Don't miss the little things that are happening right in front of you. You're so busy looking for the big thing. You're so busy squawking around about, you know, what's the next, you know, I was having a conversation this morning. What's, what's the next thing on my agenda tomorrow and the day after? I need to line up my week. No, I'm at church on Sunday morning. I don't care about the rest of my week. 
I care about this moment right here, right now. I want to see and be fully present the miracle that's happening right in front of me. So get up, pick up your mat and walk. Accept that the Lord's healing may not be the healing that you're specifically looking for, but you need to accept that his plan is perfect, that his will is good, and that he is sovereign. What does all that mean? It means that God didn't just like spin the top and step aside and say, you know, let the chips fall where they may. He is eternal. He exists outside of space, outside of time. But he does have a plan. It's a perfect plan for you. And it, I, I can't even begin to try to explain it, like crazy spiderweb string theory kind of thing for all you physics majors out there. Lehigh students, I'm looking at you. But it's there, and it's perfect, and it works. But you've got to be willing to say, okay, God, I want to be well. I'm going to step aside and let you, you do the thing that needs to be done. Later in the story, it says, later Jesus found him, the guy who had been an invalid, at the temple, and he said to him, see, you're well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away, and he told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So, if you are a person of faith, and I recognize that this room may have people from all walks of life, all spots on their faith journey, thank you for being here, wherever you're at. Once you get well again, do you go back and do the things that you did before you were, when you were not well? Like if you... Where's my contact wearers in the room, right? If you finally get LASIK, right? You finally get your eyes corrected. Are you going to go back and put contacts in? That's kind of silly, right? Why would you go screw up something that's been healed and made well? Because it's a habit. It's what I do. I've been doing... I, Mike, you don't understand. I've been wearing glasses since I was five years old and putting contacts in since I was eight. It's just what I do. Well, our habits need to change, ladies and gentlemen. Once you're made well again, stop sinning or something worse can happen to you. Because how devastating is it for you to encounter the Lord Jesus, to find healing and restoration for your soul and rest for your burden, and then to go back to the place that separated you from him in the first time. Once you've received God's grace and healing, don't go back to Egypt. There's nothing good for you there. If you go through and you read the Old Testament story, you see time and time again, Israel comes under fire, they come under siege, they come under, uh, under, under bad situations, and almost every time they want to run back to Egypt and say, oh, it was so much better for us. I mean, even, even, even in the Exodus story, they're wandering around the wilderness, like, God, we don't like the manna you're giving us. So that God gives them quail. God, we don't like the quail you're giving us. I feel like it's the milk conversation. God, I don't like the milk you're giving us. I'm just kidding. I know there's some lactose intolerant folks here. But we complain because it's what we do. And then we go back to the place where we found ourselves broken and wounded. Instead of saying... All right, God, if, if you've delivered me from this, where am I to go next? Remember the Passover feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Guard your heart. Make haste and flee. Don't find yourself in the same situations that you left. So, to wrap this up and to land the plane, here's three things. The three things I gave you to do at the beginning of our message this morning. Number one, pursue intimacy and relationship with Jesus. So what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, I would be remiss as a man of the faith to tell you to not read, pray, and listen for God daily. I've said it up here before. 
Can you give God 17 minutes of your day? And here's what that breaks down to. It takes you about 12 minutes to read one chapter. Each worship song's about four minutes. Is that about right, Chris? Three to four minutes? Well, unless it's a Bethel elevation, then it's like seven minutes, right? Yeah. So can you give him 12 minutes to read his word, four minutes to listen to a song? There's 16 minutes, right? Can you spare another four minutes to just sit in silence? To put your phone down, as we talked about, to turn off all the distractions. I know if you have uh, kids that are under the age of eight, that's a challenge. So maybe you'll have to find a way to do that after they've gone to sleep. Or maybe you get up way earlier before they do. Is, is your faith in God worth that? Is your salvation, your eternal salvation and healing of your soul worth that? To get up a little earlier or stay up a little later? To have a few moments of quiet and peace? And those of you who are parents, you know you can't do anything without getting interrupted by kids. That includes the bathroom, cooking dinner, paying your bills, whatever. There's always somebody. Mom? Dad? There's a monster outside my window. Can I have a glass of water? You know, there's always a distraction that's there to pull you away, but is your faith worth it? Is your Savior worth 20 minutes of your day? You give your tablet, your phone, your friends, your work, maybe even your own personal health more time than that. Read, pray, listen daily. Number two, seek accountability. One of the best things I ever did is find two or three folks that I can pour everything out to and be totally honest with and be safe with that will ask me the hard questions. Mike, when's the last time you looked at porn? Mike, when's the last time you had alcohol? Mike, when's the last time that you wanted to go to the casino or stay out late? What was going on? They have permission to ask me those questions. They also have permission to call me on the carpet when my head's up on backside. Do you have that? You need that. You need that level of transparency and honesty with somebody because sin germinates and grows in the darkness. If you give yeast the right conditions, moisture and darkness, heat, boom, right? So seek accountability. If you are a Christian and you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you need to be mentoring somebody. You need to be holding somebody else accountable as somebody's holding you accountable. But you need to be mentoring somebody. And if you're not mentoring somebody, you need to start. I know that's harsh. I know that's hard. But you don't learn things as well when you just read it as when you have to teach it. If you have to teach somebody how to tie your shoes, suddenly you become a level 10 expert at tying your own. Do it behind your back, do it in the dark, do it upside down, do it holding your breath. Christian, you need to be mentoring somebody. If you are a young Christian or if you are anywhere on the journey, maybe even not a Christian, go find an older statesman Christian. They don't have to be older than you, but just somebody who's walking the faith journey a little bit longer and ask them to pour into you. I'm not saying you bury your soul on the first date. I'm not saying you dump it all out, you know, and, and have, have, have it all there. But you gotta, you got to start. you got to start somewhere. You're not meant to do this journey alone. Read, listen, pray. Find accountability. Find mentoring. Because Christian, here was our last, last great words from Jesus. Up on the screen. Read along with me. 
also known as the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are a person of faith and you've been walking with Jesus, this is your job. This is not the pastor's job. This is not the worship leader's job. This is not your small group leader's job. This is your job. Everybody who is a person of faith should have somebody that they are mentoring. Number two, we talked about embracing God's healing. Embrace God's healing. That means physical, emotional, spiritual healing. And you need to rejoice in the healing that you receive, even if it's not the healing that you want. Example, life story for me. Thanksgiving weekend. It's 22, right? Nine years ago, Thanksgiving weekend, my dear friend and mentor went to the emergency room for the last time. He went to the hospital and he never came out. And we prayed for healing every day for 18 months. We had hard callous knees like camels. We were asking God for healing to deliver him from the cancer that had eaten into his chest and eaten into his brain. And I could stand here today bitter because God didn't physically heal him, or I could stand up here and rejoice knowing that he is restored fully in his soul with God the Father up in heaven and enjoying every minute of it. It's not the healing that I wanted for him. It's not the healing that he wanted. And those of you who know who he was, you know how important this man is to me. He informed my own cancer journey. And I don't know why God gave me the healing I wanted, but he did. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to rejoice in it. I'm going to stand and I'm going to be glad. Why? Because in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. If you're going to seek the Lord's healing, rejoice. Even if it's not the healing that you want, even if it's not the healing that you pray for, rejoice and be thankful because the Lord has healed. And at the end of the day, if your faith is deep and it's real, you're going to be up there laughing, celebrating. There's no greater gift than to be in the presence of the Father. Amen? That's healing, folks. It's not the healing we want sometimes, but it's the healing that God gives. Find accountability. Pursue responsibility or pursue relationship with Jesus. Embrace the healing that you've been given because once you've been delivered, you need to do this next part. The last and final thing I'll say with you today, don't go back to Egypt. There is nothing good for you there. If you've been delivered from an addiction, don't go back to the addiction to crawl out of that hole a second time is harder than it was the first time. Don't sacrifice all the tears and struggle and pain and restoration that it took to get you to that place of healing just to go back and make it worse. That well gets deeper and harder and darker to climb out of every single time. Flee from sin. Don't go back to Egypt. 
How do I do this? I have accountability. I have three guys that I talk to on the phone, on a, on a, on a Zoom call, three, four days a week. Say, hey, Mike, when's the last time you went to Egypt? How do we keep you from going back to Egypt? And I get to do the same thing with them. It's not just one way. It goes both ways. It took time and trust to develop those relationships. But these men remind me every day of what I read in Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep your corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your, a- your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all of your ways. Don't turn to the right or to the left, but keep your foot from evil. That means every day you are making a conscious decision to get up early or stay up late, to have that time with God the Father, to read his word, to listen to his music, to pray quietly and sit in silence, listen for his presence. That way you can know which way you're supposed to walk, to the right or to the left, not to turn your head, keep your eyes gazed straight forward. Right? And when you remind yourself of God's goodness on a daily basis, it's a lot easier to embrace the healing that's been given to you because you see it now. Because all the little miracles that you take for granted are now right here in front of you. The laughter of a child, the tear on your shoulder from a dear friend, all those little miracles. So, as we get ready to break into Thanksgiving this weekend, embrace, do you want to be well? If you want to be well, here's your action steps. I'm happy to talk to you about it later today, later in the week. Um, but you've got to find someone who's going to walk the walk with you, talk the talk with you. It's going to help you from going back to Egypt so that you can embrace the goodness that God has provided for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are more than just good. You are the embodiment of love and of grace. And you separated heaven and earth. Or you bridged the gap between heaven and earth that we separated by our sin so that we could be in your presence, Father. And you did this because you love us. Because you don't want us to do this thing called life alone. Lord, I ask that you just pierce the hearts and minds of everybody who's here today, whether they're watching online or in present in this space, that your perfect word would cut through sinew and tissue to the most deep, deep parts of who we are. Use your surgeon's scalpel to pull back the flesh and reveal the dark. That way light, your light, might penetrate and make us whole. Thank you for the journey that you call us to and call us through. Help us to love you fully in all things. We praise you in the perfect name of Jesus. And everybody said,